These are great chairs. Yes. Oh my. Nerd. Oh, you just got called out. That's pretty absurd. It is going to be a thing. Come on. Bad Philosophy, episode 25, recorded on March 8th, 2009. Squid Alien. Hello, everyone. Welcome and one to Bad Philosophy. Spoiler alert, we're going to be giving away a lot of stuff from Watchmen today. So if you, A, haven't read the comic, or B, haven't seen the film, or C, haven't seen either and don't care, well, I guess in A and B you'd be concerned, but C, you wouldn't really. Anyways, we're going to be giving away a lot of spoilers, so. I, I would like to point out that the book is extremely old. Let me check copyright date on that. Because of course we 19, have a copy. Uh, eighty something, right? I believe so. Maybe eighty-seven, but I'm not. I wanted to check. Uh, eighty-six. Copyright eighty-six. The mm-hmm. book is now twenty-three years old. We shouldn't have to do a spoiler on this sort of thing. Well, However, there are people who are still discovering it, which is okay. So if you're out there and you're discovering it, go buy the book, find a copy, get it off the internet. Don't get it off the internet, man. That's that's wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of like going, yeah. Spoiler alert: Moby Dick dies. You know. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there is a, there's a statute of limitations on these things. Now that the movie's out, everybody's going to be talking about it. So, yeah, deal. So you're going to get spoilers one way or another. Um, but no, go out right now. Stop this podcast. Seriously, stop it. Press pause. Mm-hmm. Right now. Wait, pause. Did, have you done it? No, you haven't, because you're still listening to me. Press pause. Oh, you shouldn't have pressed pause yet, because I'm going to tell you the rest of the st- instructions here in just a second. Um, so press pause <laughs> when I'm done talking. <laughs> go out. Purchase the book, find the book, get it somehow. Maybe your local library has a copy. If they do, give them a thumbs up for Slurpees. Read it, and then unpause this and come back after you pause it now. All right. Uh, on the show today, we have uh, some regulars. Michael Hayslip. Hello. Who is now on Twitter at uh, M. Hayslip, and he's actually using it now. He finally got device updates working uh, a couple days ago. I helped. So. <laughs> it took us about two weeks to finally get that all settled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, also we've got Kevin Saunders, of course. His uh, t-shirt today is No Need to Speak Up, I Was Ignoring You. <laughs> and he's wearing the uh, the trademark Watchman pin, the uh, smiley face it's with actually, the mark of blood. It's actually backwards. I made it, and then yeah. I was really upset at myself because I'm like, it's on the wrong side. It is. Yeah. It. yeah. But um, I wear it anyway because I made it. You'll just have to get a new one, man. <laughs> well, I, I came across this button actually um, unsuspectingly. I ran into a, a deaf man or hearing impaired man. I'm pretty sure he was completely deaf. You can say deaf. Well, I don't know if he was fully deaf or not. Oh, right. That's why I'm clarifying. It, it's actually the uh, proper term is hard of hearing. It's is either it? either deaf or hard of hearing. Okay. Yeah, hearing impaired is kind of out of uh, style. Uh, uh, fair enough. Kind of like deaf and dumb. <laughs> we don't really say that anymore. No, no, we don't. Because yeah. they're probably not dumb, but they are deaf. No. Anyway, um, in a in a bookstore um, where he was selling these little cards with like how to learn asl and buttons on them and i'm pretty sure it was illegal what he was doing because that's like soliciting hmm. um but i bought one and it had a smiley face button on it and then i drew on it with a sharpie to make the little blood splatter so you should have actually cut yourself and done a drop of real blood on but i couldn't the get the pattern right because i was really more important about getting the pattern of blood correct hmm. which is different in the comic book and the movie pointing out really yes hmm because there are multiple patterns that appear Throughout the movie. Well, no, the, the, in the movie, the drop of blood on the button looks a certain way. Yeah. It looks different than that in the book. 
if I, we were video casting, you'd see me holding up the book and going, <laughs> look, it is different. It, it is slightly different. Whatever. Well, to back up here, uh, Kevin and Michael and uh, some other people and I went to go see Watchmen uh, this past Friday. It was actually the premiere day, but we saw it on the uh, the evening of the premiere day at a drive-in movie theater, which I uh, just want to digress here for a moment. Drive-in movies are still amazing. Uh, if you have a drive-in oh, theater in your town, go there. Most likely, it's going to be extremely cheap. We paid $6 to see Watchmen and Taken, which was basically Liam Neeson can kick your ass in a bunch of different ways. <laughs> <laughs> the movie. And you you get to sit in your car. You play the... Uh, sound from the movie through your radio they actually have an fm transmitter going for everybody and uh you know at, at intermission which is the time between the movies you actually can get through the bathroom in a decent amount of time yeah <laughs> i was very surprised by that uh it's an extremely efficient system and it's a great way to watch a film because you don't you don't have to deal with crying babies uh mm. you can sit in a lawn chair in the back of a pickup if you want to if the weather's or an nice or an armchair <laughs> Kevin, actually, do do you want to talk uh, about that? Dark Knight, I, I, I'm fond of midnight showings, just in general. And usually I go in costume. However, I don't usually go in costume for, you know, someone who's in the film. I go as Arthur Dent from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's how I cosplay, if you're up on that lingo. But I go as Arthur Dent to just about every midnight showing I've gone to. I think the one exception was Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 2, but that's another story entirely. <laughs> Anyway, Dark Knight Midnight Showing, we went to at the drive-in, and my friend Steven, not this Steven, a different Steven. Yeah, a different one. Does um, he spell it with a PH a, as well? Yes. Oh. At least I spell it with a PH when I spell his name, which is just as good in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know how he spells it. I'll spell asking. your name how I think it should be spelled. <laughs> but, so I have this big wingback orange armchair that I got from a play that I worked in many moons ago, and I put it in the back of his truck, and I watched The Dark Knight from this armchair this big comfy armchair which you can do at a drive-in also because you're in your car most of the time or in a lot of situations you can talk throughout the movie and it doesn't bother anybody else right like you and uh you and everybody else in your vehicle kind of riffed on oh we, the we entire totally time. riffed on taking the entire <laughs> yeah. time because it's it's a movie it's not a horrible movie it's a very straightforward f- film um sort of an action film but it's it was good it was a nice concept it wasn't super spectacular super spectacular but yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yes. One of the people we're following just tweeted, uh, Watchmen kicked ass. Now it is time to study. So, so no, in my car at uh, during Taken, we riffed pretty heavily on it. Um, in a singular style, actually, we did what sort of a spinoff of you know Chuck Norris facts. We did Liam Neeson facts based yes. on the film we were watching. Because Liam Neeson is, is a fantastic actor. I mean, he's well-renowned. I mean, he was, he was yeah, in Kinsey, who's Schindler's for List. Oscar, Schindler's List. I mean, he's done yeah. tons of very acting-heavy things. And this movie wasn't really one of those. No, this, this, was, a, this was a I Need Some Gas Money movie, <laughs> I know, well, <laughs> essentially. I, I, I saw an interview with him, and he, he did it because you know, he liked the script and he liked the story. Because it's a good story, because he's got a kid, and, you know, it's if you can't actually save your kid from, you know, being sold into white slavery, you can at least do it in a film. Yeah. Not that his kid got sold into white slavery, but Liam Neeson himself probably couldn't stop it if it happened. No, and uh, I think he had a stunt guy for most of the stuff that he did. Yeah, but that's okay. It's wait, a movie. wait, are we saying that Liam Neeson can't actually do something? I don't <laughs> believe that was one of the facts we came up well, with. Well, okay, Chuck Norris doesn't actually have a third fist in his beard. 
Yes, he does. <laughs> However, Liam Neeson will actually pay the electric bill just to torture you longer. <laughs> yeah. uh, but anyways, uh, so we saw Watchmen at the drive-in theater, and uh, it was a good experience. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to go see it again to get the surround sound thing. And I spent most of the movie in the back seat, which was not the best vantage point, but... It really wasn't a film where you, you had to be directly engaged in the action. It was a very... It's not an action film. Yeah, it's, it's very plot-driven, very uh, dialogue-driven movie. Yes. Uh, spoiler alert, if you're going to see Watchmen to get a superhero comic book movie experience... Don't. You're not going to get that no, experience. No, it is, it is not Spider-Man. It is not Superman. Oh, God. I'm sick. And I know. Funny. <laughs> Over here, it sounds like you said it's not Spider Pan and it's not Super Pan. <laughs> Damn it! These being various breads you can purchase. Yes, based on your favorite superheroes. <laughs> yes, I'll take three Spider Pans, a Super Pan, and a Bat Pan, please. <laughs> Panaderia. FTW. No, no, but what we're basically saying is Watchmen is a unique film. It it doesn't fall in line with the with Dark Knight even. Uh, no. I think it's far deeper philosophically than even Dark Knight. Now, Dark Knight, of course, makes some, some very blatant ethical issues apparent, but Watchmen makes them not so apparent. Watchmen it's sort of a, doesn't shove it in your face. Right, right. Watchmen makes you have to do the work. Because, like, we talked last week about the, the boat scenario mm-hmm. in uh, The Dark Knight, but Watchmen, in Watchmen, the ethical issues string out throughout the entire film. Um, characters have their own inner conflicts, and of course, your superheroes always do, but in Watchmen... They're real. Yeah, they're, they're, they feel genuine. It doesn't feel ad hoc. It's like, okay, well, what's this guy's Achilles heel? Mm-hmm. It's, these are it's, human beings. It's not what I like to call Marvel angst. Yeah. Um, which, which Marvel you know prides themselves on for for comic books anyway you know having quote unquote realistic characters but they're basically superheroes with a with a with a mortal flaw with an achilles heel with a tragic flaw you know tony stark's a drunkard spider-man's a nerd a nerd sure <laughs> is, that, is that his angst i don't He's i Peter think Peter parker uh, that was the isn't angst his weakness the mary jane hmm? isn't his weakness mary jane to some extent yeah, yeah. i mean it's it's, it's that sort of but anyway, but there's all of the characters like are basically good people with a more you know a tragic flaw a marvel flaw marvel angst and watchmen they're real people yeah. who put on costumes like superheroes the the line is incredibly blurred and i mean they they even kind of joke about the whole costume thing like there's there's the one discussion between night owl and uh, silk specter where he's mm-hmm. like yeah you remember those the costumes are like all that latex and <laughs> it, it's i prefer to think of them as dan and laurie but that's just dan me. and laurie all right whatever yeah, really. Because, because I couldn't that's, tell that's you. The point. I couldn't tell you the names of all of them. Really, like I didn't have them until the end of the film. Like they're superhero names. Yeah, it because... was just their names. Mm-hmm. And you get a little bit earlier in the in the in the book. Um, I, I don't really want to go on a, on a point by point basis of why the movie was wrong and the book was right. Well, bring just up, assume yeah, that the book see, this is right. the thing, like, like you and, and some other people who've read the comic, I've seen, like, Facebook posts about this, mm-hmm. but um, you'll have some problems with the, the adaptation. Um, can you bring up a couple of those? For the most part, it's, it, I, I've been thinking about it over the past, you know, day or two, and it's not that the problems are, with the exception of one, the, tr- the problems are not major and they're not horrible, but they are noticeable. Um, for example, the, the one that, that Michael, I think, alluded to earlier is in the the quote-unquote origin story of Rorschach, 
who is not Walter Kovacs. That's one of the cases where he is Rorschach, he is not Walter Kovacs, which is the alternate. And, the, oh, go ahead. And in the credits, uh, when the the uh, the actors are being listed and the role yeah, they played, all the actors, all the, uh, the heroes they played, they you have their superhero name and their normal name. Mm-hmm. Under for the uh, character of Rorschach, it's just Rorschach. Yeah, it's not he's Rorschach. Yeah, not Walter, Walter Kovacs. Kovacs, and he's not. And that's an important plot point in the book. And they they kind of did the origin story of of when he became Rorschach instead of Walter Kovacs wearing a mask. However, there's an important distinction in, and this is big spoiler in the movie. Um, he's investigating the disappearance of this little girl who ended up being killed and fed to dogs. Yeah, uh, and Rorschach finds the man who did it and kills him. What happens in the book is, in, in the movie, he smashes his head in with a meat cleaver. Yeah. You know, chop, 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 done, done, done. In the book, and this is, it's, it's so much more powerful because he handcuffs the guy to a radiator, as he does in the film, so he can't escape. And then he, you know, throws the dog on him. And then he sets the house on fire. Ooh. And, and not only that, he gives the guy, oh, that's right, the meat cleaver. He gives the guy the meat cleaver and says, it won't cut through the chain. <laughs> and sets the house on fire oh. and watches it burn to the ground and no one escapes. So I would like to point out that uh, Watchmen did Saw 15 years before Saw did. Oh, yeah. That and the um, particular... There was a particular amount of violence. Like, it surprised me. The the extreme violence was just, like... It, they, they were punctuation marks. It wasn't like the entire film had a sustained level of, of heavy violence. It was, it was 300. It, right. It was... Here's... Here's one really graphic instance and among a bunch of kind of typical fighting. Um, you know, a guy gets his elbow bent all the way backwards and blood squirts out. Um, what got me was the guy in the, in the prison who uh, he gets his arms caught in the, uh, yes. inside by Rorschach, inside the cage. And then a guy has to use a, a chainsaw, or not a chainsaw, but a, um, so a actually, I think it was a grinder is actually what yeah. it was supposed to be. But, and I was, I was rereading the comic a few days ago, and it's not... Exactly the same way it is in the book. I mean, Rorschach grabs his arm, ties him up, yeah. and they just kill him right. um, to get past him. The the cutting off the arms was added by Zack Snyder. Yeah, and it, somebody. it reminded me very much. And then, I mean, they show it like yes. very, very graphically a guy getting his arms sawed off. Um, and it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Gears of War because <laughs> you do that like ad nauseum in Gears of War, except you slice people in half. But yeah, yeah. I, I guess I was kind of desensitized to it, but still, like in that movie, it was very. It was kind of out of the ordinary, you know. You had all this, all this drama, all this dialogue, and then you know, really, you know, a person explodes. Right, and um, and, and that's the point is that the violence is extreme because it's it's trying to be very realistic. Yeah, I mean, sure, you have a few moments of extremely stylized comic book violence mm-hmm. in the movie where you know they're doing you know karate and whatnot. I, I, I point but, to the scene um, where Adrian Veidt gets attacked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in his penthouse. That scene was up until the end where he's like trying to get him to, to – okay, he's actually trying to get him to swallow the cyanide pill uh, – is is very stylized, very comic booky. But at the end, you have that gritty moment where he's you know trying to supposedly keep him from swallowing a cyanide capsule and he's actually shoving it down the guy's throat. But, oh, yes, and, and that, that, that was the – again, the point of the violence mm-hmm. is to show how extreme it was because it is real world. These are just people. The only one with superpowers is Dr. Manhattan. Well, yeah, and I mean, Dr. Manhattan's style is, is essentially to make people explode. Like, he doesn't choose to turn them into dust or something. He makes them explode. And 
that's you kind of wonder if he could do otherwise or if he's he choosing to be that violent about it well that's one thing the, the, the dr manhattan is an interesting character that i think kind of got the shaft in the film really um from, i thought you had a from, pretty prominent role from a characterization standpoint they simplified him a lot hmm. um partially because of how they changed the ending they needed to but like where they come up at the like the first five minutes of the movie and they'd be like john you should see through time for us and in the book, that's something that nobody knows he can do. Really? And huh. and it brings up a lot of questions of, of predeterministic stuff, because he, he, he lives all points of his life at once. Huh. And knows what's going to happen, what has happened, what hasn't happened, on his personal timeline, you know, Quantum Leap style. Not exactly Quantum Leap style, but, you know, in only to things that he experiences. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, Laurie realizes this uh, when she's on Mars but John as a, on the whole doesn't tell anybody has no need to tell anybody because he is so separate from the rest of the world partially because of how he perceives the world yeah so it's but it's it's really interesting how how they did that and by just giving that away they kind of cheapen some of that hmm. because that explains when it and when it's done well it explains some of his behavior some of his his reactions his lack of reactions because it's very hard for him to be surprised yeah because he knows everything that's going to happen except him. for the to the extent to which Vite is blocking his vision with yeah, the yeah about that was that not in the comic it was never mentioned. When I was hearing him talking about tachyon particles... Star Trek moment. Yeah, I yes. was like, wait... Well, tachyons are, are an actual theoretical particle, but yeah. I was just like, wow, that's sort of a deus ex machina right there. Well, of yeah. course. Um, um. Because how, how do you... out? I'm like, sure, if you're Adrian Veidt, the smartest man in the world, how do you outsmart someone who knows what is going to happen to him on his personal timeline? And since it involves him, yeah. there's really nothing Adrian Veidt can do to outsmart him. Mm-hmm. Again, like uh, in the uh, in the movie, there's a line that he says. He says, "You know that the world's smartest man poses no more threat to him and the than the world's smartest termite." Yeah, <laughs> which I think is in the book. Actually, it was a fantastic well. line. <laughs> um, now, that this kind of brings us to the ending, which the ending was changed, and yet it was the same. Hmm. And I don't think. I'm, I still can't quite figure out why they changed it, and I really I'm afraid of spoiling it for you, Michael, because I know you're reading the book still. But it is okay. I'm almost there. We're, we're on spoiler alerts, and this throughout the book, allusions are made to this island of science fiction authors, artists, and various creative types. Hmm. Kind of like a, an island of the intelligentsia or something. More or less, they they basically they all went on this cruise. The cruise ship disappeared, and no one has heard from them for a while. Huh. And it's only briefly referenced. Michael, do you remember any of this? Like from what uh, you've yes, seen? Uh, okay. Max Shea being the uh, author yes. of uh, the pirate series, and um, yes. that uh, what is her name? Uh, a famous painter, and mm-hmm. they're all living on this island together. Yes, and um, I have no idea what it means, but it's it's all tied in together, which is the crazy thing about Watchmen. You have all this disparate plot points going on and they're all very important. and they're all linked um do you, do you mind if i spoil the ending for you okay because it, it doesn't become less powerful and you kind of know what's gonna happen anyway because vite is behind it all and what he has done is he is he's identified the same problem uh-huh. humankind will destroy itself unless it can, can unite itself 
and it will not unite itself, so he has to step in and do it for them. Right. Now, the problem with, with the movie is he frames up Dr. Manhattan, John Osterman, as destroying New York City. Mm-hmm. That's the the frame-up that happens. Uh, New York City, Moscow, a bunch of other, like, main city yeah. centers. Um, and that's done because, you know, because Dr. Manhattan is so powerful. However, so they unite against the threat of Dr. Manhattan, who at this point will never be seen again. Hmm. I mean, he makes that very clear. You know, he's he's left the planet, and they frame him up, and like, okay, you got to do this, except for the fact that that threat is an internal threat. Dr. Manhattan is a member of the human race, whether or not he is or not. I'm not sure if wait, that makes sense. Wait, wait, sense. wait. No, he is, he is a member of the human race, whether he's there or not? No, whether, or? whether he is or not, because he lived his life as a human. Oh, the question is whether he, or not he's a member of the human race, well, well, he's, regardless he's an, of his godlike abilities. He is an internal force, came from within the planet. Yeah. And so there's going to be factions that are going to spring up, well, maybe we should love Dr. Manhattan. Maybe we should find out why he did this, this sort of stuff. Well, I wish they would have gone deeper into, like, the... And I don't know if the book does this, but, like, the religious implications. Like, you saw in... Uh, there was one scene where, like, the people in, in Vietnam, the soldiers, like, yes, surrendered to him, to him, bowed down to him like a god. And, mm-hmm. I mean, really, that was... I can see that being a, a perception among certain members of the population. Like, the, the guy says at one point, God is real... And he's American. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> they really don't go into it much more than that. Okay. Because that I, seems like a, an excellent no, because avenue you, they could have. Th- yes, they should have gone into that more because that's the point. Yeah, yeah. He can save humanity if he wants to, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't care. So Vite gets him to save humanity. Right. I guess in kind of in the scenario that the movie played out, yes. they created this all-powerful god that all of humanity feared. Mm-hmm. Um, they made Dr. Manhattan into that deity. Yes. Against his will, of course. I mean, it was accidental, but yes. I mean, the, the the actual transformation of him into Doctor Manhattan, quote unquote, was an accident. It wasn't. Well, no, no, no. But, but I mean, Vite made him into that that deity after after the transformation. Like with with him yeah. setting up Doctor Manhattan, it made him into to some extent. But that that, that happened without. I mean, Doctor Manhattan never worked for Vite in the book. Okay, he works for the government. He is America's best kept, you know, he's better than you know, 10 million nuclear warheads. Right. Because he can do think anything. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and think. And he's cognizant, yeah. But it's, it's so that's, so that was like when I first time, like, I'm like, huh? But so, so in, in the movie, this, this group of artists is, oh, another thing, Babastus, the, um, the lynx mm-hmm. that, uh, Adrian Veidt has is genetically engineered, and that's an important plot point that gets glossed over because they changed the ending. Mm-hmm. Because Adrian Veidt is the smart man, and he's perfected genetic engineering. Oh. So he uses these artists that he's brought to this island, these artists, writers, what have you, to this island to create this thing. And they really don't really show you what it is till the very end of the book, or very close to the end of the book. And what it actually ends up being is as alien a creature as can be created. And it's not alive. Okay. That's but what that is. painting is, isn't yes. it? Yes. And what happens is he the the disaster he creates is he teleports it to Manhattan, and the it sends out a psychic shock wave. No, I remember seeing this. There was a special on comic books that the History Channel one ran, yeah. ran once, and a lot of scenes were from Watchmen, and Adrian Veidt played this joke on the world. Yes, I'm releasing an alien threat. The mm-hmm. only thing that would that unite. could truly unite humanity uh, because it is an external threat, yeah, whereas Doctor yes. Manhattan is not. 
See that? Okay, that's an important distinction. Then. Exactly, yeah. and that's my problem. I don't mind that they changed the ending. I mind that they made it an external threat into an internal threat. Hmm. Because the external threat. Okay, this this alien has killed millions of millions of people, and it flipped to the back. There's there's something that I, that I found out. Not quite the back, but they there's there's a page that just shows the devastation. Um, I think it starts off the final chapter. It is a just nine panels of utter devastation. There it is. Oh wow! And this yes, got this cut from the, the movie. This, this is what they showed yeah. in that comic book special. It's just oh nine pages of the devastation afterwards, and it's supposed to be impactful. But they cut it out of the movie for quote unquote nine eleven fears. But well, <laughs> so because you don't see anybody like the only thing like you see people get disintegrated, but nobody like you don't see any bodies, you don't see any death, you don't see any devastation. Well, yeah, the, the idea buildings. is that everybody just got disintegrated. Like there weren't yeah, any bodies. but that wasn't what happens in the book, and that's yeah. and it's much more powerful because of that. And so that's that's how Adrian Veidt tricks the world is mm. by. Yeah. Convincing them of this external threat that they must unite against, and, and I believe like the the special I saw was shows Adrian Veidt standing there with his like his fist raised up, really excited. He's like, "I did it! Yeah, I did it! I saved the like world!" Yeah, it's, and he does. He saves the world, but through the most horrible he? means mm-hmm. possible. Well, I mean, essentially the the aftermath is what he wanted, right? I mean, everybody unites, and yes. uh, there's peace. Mm-hmm. It seems to make a lot more sense, though, having an alien threat, though, because yes. it's a good point. I mean, people know Dr. Manhattan. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's a familiar thing. They're like, well, we've loved this guy the whole time. Oh, and then all of a sudden Some, he's Someone a will guy. come along and be like, wait, why did he do this? Yeah. Um, because he was he was loved. He was a god to people. Right. So why would, you know, they would, people would question that. People would say, well, why did he turn his back on us? Why did he do this sort of thing? And the answer is because you were lied to. Yeah, by making it an external threat that you don't have, you can't ask these questions. There is no reason. Well, now, okay, how do you then explain Rorschach's death? Like, how how does it happen in the book? It's, it happens the same way. That's the, that's the thing. Everything else happens very much the same. So Rorschach way. was going to tell the world that it was it was, it was this a lie. alien done by Vi. That it was a lie. Okay. Um, it, Rorschach was going to tell the world that it was a lie. Just straight up, that was what he yeah. was going to do. So Doctor Manhattan is there to kill him. Yes. Okay. Um, like it's it's the the only thing that, that dramatically changed was the the incident itself. Yeah, yes. the ending for the most part is relatively true to the story, but it's it's that and that's that's the major flaw is that it's this an internal threat as opposed to an external threat, which makes his plan much weaker. Yeah, which shows that Alan Moore knew what he was doing. Yeah, <sighs> I, I, I you know I don't know how they. Maybe they figured that they couldn't build up the thing with the island and the monster and all, and still fit that in. It, you know, they they needed to to eliminate that whole well, aspect of the story to make it fit in the time. But. I think it's just too strange for people. It was it was dubbed too strange for people because it's well, it's a giant squid alien that falls on Manhattan more yes. or less out of out of nowhere. Dude, and the movie itself is pretty freaking strange already. But like the, that wouldn't have been too much of a stretch. I think it would have been. Really? That's true. I think I think Hollywood thinks it would have been. Right. But at the same time, you have to understand, like, when you get towards the middle and the ends of the movie, Snyder's taking shortcuts because he's yes. like, I have to like there's a, there's an entire scene that's been left out where Rorschach actually gets his spare costume mm-hmm. and he doesn't get his original costume back from the police no. know, from the prison. He goes with Night Owl to his neighborhood and gets it himself, gets his spare costume. Because he's got backups. But they had to do that because we only have 
three hours yeah. to do this. I mean, there's, there's an entire storyline about the doctor that was working with Rorschach. Hmm. Um, Which is amazing. It's a, it's a very good storyline. And it's, it is about this doctor is this very happy-go-lucky, very cheerful, very optimistic guy. And through working with Rorschach, his, he, become, he comes to start seeing the world the way Rorschach does. And it makes yeah. him very depressed and it screws up his life. I, and I mean, just, my, my favorite line from Rorschach whoosh. is definitely, you know, God didn't make the world this way. We did. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very, I mean, you could you could call him a pessimist, but he's very much a realist. He's like, yeah. you know, the world is really effed up. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Yeah, I, I found, well, what I found interesting about Rorschach's character is just reading the book and seeing him in the movie. And just the way it's played out is that Rorschach reminds me of a, an extremely religious man. Who has lost his faith? Who realizes yeah. that there is good and evil in the world? But Extremely disillusioned. But if God doesn't exist, then what are we going to do? So he decides himself. Okay, well, if God doesn't exist, then I'm going to decide who lives and who dies. I'm going to punish humanity for their sins because mm-hmm. it needs to be done. And he sees it as he Rorschach is not a hero for glory, fame, or anything. He does it because he is compelled to because do it. Because it needs to be yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. Like, there is good and there is bad, and he doesn't compromise. He doesn't compromise. He takes like the um, the uh, Kantian moral problems, such as if a man comes to your house and, he, and you're hiding your best friend in his basement and that man is going to kill your best friend, do you lie to him? Kant would say no. You say no. He's down, down in there in my basement because if you lie, you are being it, – it's wrong. Mm. Just because you are saving your friend's life does not make it any less wrong. Mm. You still lied. Rorschach takes that to an extreme though. He says, you know, um, any sin that you commit and I find out about it, I will punish you for it no matter what. Mm-hmm. And just the, the extremity of it and the fact that he does it outside of the law, outside of due process, pisses everyone off. Because, like, you know, this right. is wrong. This is not right. How, how can you take this to such an extreme? And, and, the, and, and something that talks about his mask, um, the, the story behind his mask is another great thing. Oh, yeah. They never really explain that. I mean, there's it's just this this piece of cloth that somehow yeah. has this morphing figure on it at all times what, what happened is there was a he worked he worked in a dress shop at one point in time uh as just he, he got put into social services relatively early on and so he had to work you know menial jobs most of his life uh-huh. and so he he did and he worked this he worked a job as in, in a dress shop just kind of working with you know fixing stuff cleaning stuff and a woman special ordered this dress that looked like Rorschach's mask. It was black and white with these splotches, and it was um, two uh, liquids that were non... They would not mix. Would not mix, so whatever that word is. Um, like oil and water. Yeah, well, just like... They were not aqueous? Insol- insoluble. Yeah. Insoluble, yeah, yeah, there yeah. we go. Um, so these two liquids between latex. And so his mask actually isn't cloth, it's latex, which oh. is something that, that gets glossed over in the thing, because... It looks cooler with cloth, but and um, the woman takes the dress. She, she ordered it, and she goes, "This is this is ugly. This is horrible. I don't like this. I don't want it." And so he takes it home because he goes, "No, it's not ugly. It's the most beautiful thing in the world hmm. because it is white and black, never mixing, yeah, intermingling but not mixing." And that's such a big part of Warshak. There are no shades of gray. Yeah, there is white. There is black. There is nothing else. There There's is so there much is no symbolism. Maybe in it. I mean, I, oh, I certainly, just, it's it's an incredibly well thought out mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think the movie conveys a portion of that, but 
it just gives hints in a lot of cases, like the mask. Yeah. The movie is the cliff notes of the book. Yeah. If you take if you if you watch the movie, you'll get a C plus on the test. If you read the book, you'll get an A. Hmm. It just uh, just a quote that you know is is just classic because it sums up Rorschach so well, and it sums up the world of Watchmen incredibly well. Um, Rorschach is writing his journal, and he says, "The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up about their waists, and all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us.' And I'll look down and whisper, no." Yeah, they, I mean, they, they do they have that, that in the they film. They use that in, yeah. the, in the film and in the poster or in the, in the trailers and stuff. But that is very much because it sums up the world so well. Mm-hmm. It's no, you don't deserve this because Rorschach is is. I thought of this as I was walking up to the library today. Rorschach is like um, the uh, Santa Claus in Futurama. <laughs> the the Santa Claus who who's making a list and checking it twice, and everybody on his list always ends up naughty because there's something wrong that's always being done. <laughs> yes. uh, for example, a man is uh, a man is paying some mobsters protection money, mm-hmm. and he's gotten behind on his payment, so the mobsters come and they're beating the crap out of him. Santa shows up and beats the crap out of the mobsters for taking protection money. Yeah. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But there's that guy, the shopkeeper, who is paying the protection money. Mm-hmm. So Santa Claus beats him up, too, for taking protection money because that's yeah, wrong yeah. also. Well, you and for, and that. for being behind on his payments. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's... But that's, but that's, that's Rorschach, and that is it very much. It's that, you know, you have to be completely good or else you're not. Yeah. And Rorschach has no problem punishing those who are not. Yeah, I mean, he takes himself to be the objective starting point. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he takes himself to be the ground, the foundation of the world, essentially. Um, I mean, it's, it's very... It's a very powerful system of ethics, for sure. You know, I am I am supremely right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I mean, do they ever go into any, any detail? Like, are the, is this just Rorschach's own feelings, or does he feel there's some moral imperative that he's following? Like, cause it's, it seems very unclear. You know, he talks about sins, but, you know, what is... Is he using normative ethics? Is he using moral relativism? He doesn't care. Right. He doesn't care what you what fancy label you put on it. He knows what is right and what is wrong. Okay, so right. he, he, he knows that killing somebody is wrong. He would take there to be objective morality then. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. he would. And mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. There's another quote in here from uh, Hollis Mason under the hood. Yes, where which is, he talks, we'll talk about those in a second. Right, where Mason, the original Night Owl, talks about um, right and wrong and how morality should work. And in the comic book world, it always works the way it should. Yes. Yeah. Right, al- right always wins, and wrong is always punished for being wrong. Mm-hmm. Sure, the world may be really dark. Like, for example, the example given is the shadow. Yes. But um, the idea is is that morality should work this way, and Rorschach is built that way. This is how morality should work. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work that way, which is why, you know, all these heroes are incredibly disillusioned people because it's like it doesn't matter how many child pornographers, how many murderers, how many prostitutes, how many people we put away, how many – supervillains we beat the crap out of it doesn't matter it doesn't change the fact that humanity there's something fundamentally wrong with humanity itself mm-hmm. which i found interesting because to me coming from a christian background watchman is a world crying for salvation somebody needs to save us save us from ourselves mm-hmm. and the comedian references that and that's yeah. why there's such broken people is because we can't solve this yeah. there's nothing we can do the only way to solve it is to come up with this extreme external threat destroy an entire city's worth of people in order to save it. And if there is no God, or if God exists and he doesn't care, what are we going to do? 
And that's just, that's, that's to me is what makes Watchmen so powerful and just so dark and gritty. It's a world without this kind of need, that has this need for God, but he's just not there. Mm. I'm, uh, I'm pretty on sure, the, but don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure Alan Moore is a very strict atheist. Um, I'm sure. Which, I'm, which I think is is reflected in this book. Oh, very much Because so, this yeah. is a world without a God. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm reading the... the, the symbolism the christian symbolism mm-hmm. at least into it i yeah. know i'm doing that because i mean i'm pretty sure like yeah yeah <laughs> he's probably a pretty strict atheist oh yes <laughs> well and you mentioned dark I, i'm try, trying to think now is there a single scene in the movie that takes place during the day or the uh, during you know sunny skies like i know the stuff with vite during the day it's like all gray and mm-hmm. rainy and everything that's, that's else is there, there are many scenes that take place in the day in the book yeah but yes. in the movie it's it's almost all at night you you yeah. very rarely but see daytime even during know? the day scenes in the comic book the day is very dark it's very grimy it's yeah. very much this is a big city and it's i mean every even the air looks polluted and it's not necessarily polluted with you know the filth from factories and stuff mm-hmm. although you know on a you know very literal reading of it. Yeah, that's true. But it's like it's polluted with all of this with humanity. Sin. Yeah. You know, I actually I'm remembering now the one scene where it's it's like bright sunlight is when all the explosions are going off in New York. It's outside it's daytime there's yeah. sun and then boom. And they did yeah. show it was very exciting. Um because there there are some serious subplots that nobody was surprised they got taken out. Yeah. Um the two big ones being, you know, Under the Hood and Black Freighter, which, I mean, each each chapter of the comic book is sandwiched between pages of books, actual books, not actual, like, like not comic books. Um, and the first few it's are chapters of Hollis Mason's book, Under the Hood, which is his kind of his memoir about being the first night owl. Mm-hmm. Then you've got, um, I don't remember all of them, but, you know, there's there's a special on... You know, on pirate comics and how pirate comics came to be, because in in the world of of Watchmen, you know, okay, com- comic books had superheroes at the beginning, but then you know we actually had people in costumes dressing up and doing stuff, so that's not nearly as exciting, right? So pirate comics became the thing. If anyone, if you're reading a comic book, you know, if, if in in Watchmen's world, you know, 2006, 2008, we would have had a big slew of pirate films rather than a big slew of comic book films. Yeah, or, or they would have all been comic book films, but they've been about pirates rather than superheroes. Yeah, we, and we've got our fair share of pirate films now, anyway. We, but... we do, <laughs> but we don't call them comic book films. No, we don't. So it, that's, but that's just the way. So, and there's there's a huge backstory on how those came about, as well as throughout the comic, there's actually a a two issue comic called Tales of the Black Freighter that is is interspersed. Inside of the Watchmen, and it's mm-hmm. an, it's a comic book that's that one of the minor characters is actually reading, and um, it's it's very interesting because at the very end, when the explosion happens, it goes to this kind of this newsstand, and you see these people kind of standing together right before everything happens, and all of those people are characters in the book. That uh, newsstand keeps getting come back to you. The guy at the stand, the, the little black kid with the comic book, um, there, there's a big beefy chick behind him. Uh, the doctor came by all the time, Rorschach's doctor. Yeah, and they are are at that point in that in that area when that happens. Rorschach himself actually goes to the newsstand yes. on the base as Walter Kovacs without his costume without his face or anything, on, yeah. and he's this crazy hobo guy with a sign that says "The end is near." <laughs> and he, you actually see him in the film a few times that like that, but you have to really be looking for it. Yeah. Oh, you have to really? Really? Be paying um, attention. There's there's one where. 
Oh, I which, think I remember is, that. Yeah. It actually it makes it makes his his reveal more powerful right. when you know because because like in the book like they rip his mask off and you're like let me my face it's it's it, it, it set up to be this like huge reveal of what he looks like and you're like should I recognize this person? Should I be surprised? Right. Yeah. And then you when go I reread the book and you see how often he shows up right. outside of his, right. without his face on, as he puts it. Because in scenes where he is becoming Rorschach when he's putting on the mm-hmm. costume, all those scenes, like a lot of them, if, they're, if, they're, if Rorschach is talking about anything and it's, it's from, from his perspective, perspective, the view is first person. You see him putting on his gloves. Mm-hmm. You see him getting ready, getting his mask ready. It's all because, you know, he is Rorschach. He is not Walter Kovacs anymore. Yeah. He's just, no. When, he's, no, when, when, he's, when he's not wearing his face, he is in costume, right. as he puts it. Um, his face is his mask. He, he yeah. refers to it as his face, and so I do as well, because I'm cool like that. Right. <laughs> and in the movie, when there, there are certain scenes where they're all like, well, they couldn't recognize me without my mask. That's not He said mask, yeah. It was... It's his face. Uh, because, because he is Rorschach, not Walter Kovacs. But yeah. no, he, he's, he's seen... Um, when Dan and Lori are in the diner the first time, they're having dinner together. Uh, not a diner, but a restaurant. He walks by the window, and I'm like, I didn't say anything at the time because I didn't know if anybody else recognized it. <laughs> and then he's outside the funeral. When Moloch yes! drops the roses, he's outside the funeral. Because yeah. he went to the funeral. He went in disguise because he couldn't let anybody know, you know, whatever. But he's outside the funeral with his sign and Moloch, and that's how he goes to... A, find Moloch because Moloch was at the funeral which causes him to do that so otherwise it's like how did you know he was at the funeral it's like well standing right there yeah but nobody knows what he looks like <laughs> it's, it's good stuff it's well I I for one really enjoyed the movie Have, having not read the the graphic novel yet and mm-hmm. I I will probably one day because I, I feel there's a lot there's a lot more to know yes. just about this story and I felt like I did get just sort of an introduction to it um primer i i found it to be a, a refreshing a refreshingly different film mm-hmm. like yes. it's one of those that i i would need to see even multiple times to get the gist of everything that happened in the film mm-hmm. much less what's mm-hmm. what's going on behind it in the graphic novel and uh just the, the juxtaposition of that with taken was it, it was just yeah, they were fun. both movies but they were both movies it was <laughs> that's about all you can say that's about all you can say there was there was an utter you could totally see it was like opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, fi- a five star film versus a one star film. I'd give it a star and a half. <laughs> star and a half. I mean, it's, it wasn't uh, Mono's Hands of Fate bad, right. I guess. <laughs> right. It, it was, I remember like coming out of the film, um, just I, I felt, you know, I was just like, wow, this was a good film. Yeah. Like, I, and that, that's a feeling I so rarely mm-hmm. get nowadays is that, okay, yeah, this that was Watchmen a good This is Watchmen are talking, not taken. Right. This right. is Watchmen. <laughs> I come out of that film and I'm just all like, wow, that was amazing. I mean, I mean, it was, sure, it got a lot of things wrong. But for me, that's it's not nearly as big a deal for you know me as it is for Kevin. I mean, It did sure. so much right. Is, I, I should point out, I enjoyed the film. Oh, yes. I enjoyed watching the film. And I, what, what I'm afraid of is people who, who are going to say, well, I watched the film. Why should I read the book? And people, mm-hmm. people, no, the thing is, people do this. And it bothers me because, and, and I was always like, well, you know, it'll just bring more people to the book. It'll bring more people to the book. Harry Potter 1 came out. This is back many years ago when I was working at Barnes and Noble. I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Harry Potter movie, first one came out. At this point, I think four of the books were out, maybe five. Yeah. No, there were about it, it been more three than four. behind, I think. Yeah. It couldn't have been more than four. But this woman came in and wanted to buy the next two. She said, I need to buy Harry Potter's two and three. And I said, well, you know, she's like, I'm just going to start reading the book. I'm like, well, have you read the first one? 
And she goes, no, but I just saw the movie, so that's good enough. The... And, and the thing is, and, and yeah, okay, yeah, it's an anecdote, but, but that happened, and it is not, I'm sure, an isolated incident. <laughs> and she was like, well, I read the book. I read the movie. I don't need to read the book. And I know, and, and I, I believe Watchmen should be taught in schools. I'm just saying. Dude, <laughs> I, this is a case study in humanism and morality mm-hmm. and I, I think world Watchmen issues. Should be taught in schools. I think you could teach yeah. an entire college course on Watchmen easily. I mean, I couldn't, but someone could. And it would be very cool. So I'm, I'm hopefully going to be a grad student at UT. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna pursue this. <laughs> possibility. It would be. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff in there. I'm, I'm sure people, have, people have studied Watchmen before. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Watchmen is responsible for the dark '80s, like when all that dark, gritty comics came out. Because everyone was like, "Well, okay, Watchmen is dark and gritty, so we'll make our comics dark and gritty, and people will like them." Which is not at all why Watchmen is good. No. <laughs> But you know, that's that's. I mean, you got some good stuff out of that. Uh, the Dark Knight Returns came out around the same time, you know. So good stuff happens as well. But you could teach a whole class on Watchmen easily. And I was making a point earlier, but I really don't know what it was. <laughs> um, you were saying something about oh oh about the Harry Potter, you know, people oh, yeah, watching yeah, the, people watching people, the movie. And then. so I'm I'm worried that people, especially because it is a faithful adaptation, it's very faithful. It is a very faithful adaptation. It is not. As much as I would like it, but to do that, the movie would have to be twelve and a half hours long, at Mini least. Series on HBO. So, are we talking more faithful than Lord of the Rings here? Lord of the Rings wasn't faithful. I would say. I, I mean, so. I, I know, like I, I, Fellowship oh. of the Ring. At least I've read Fellowship of the Ring. I haven't I've, read any of the other ones, but I have to say, Fellowship. I of the think Ring this was, was more Fellowship. This was more faithful than Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yes, at least on a thematic and events-based basis. Yes. Because I mean, um, they cut a lot of stuff. Yeah, from Fellowship. Lord of the Rings. What, like the first, mo- the first Lord of the Rings movie was the only really truly faithful adaptation. They're still good films, and I enjoy watching them. But it's very different from reading the book. The mm-hmm. the experience is very different because Tolkien created this world in his head. He yeah. created an entire world out of. As did nothing. I would argue Alan Moore. In oh well, indeed. Still though, I mean, he's interweaving it with American history, mm-hmm. right? And with the whole point of Watchmen, though, is that it is real world. Yeah, that's the point. And, and Lord of the Rings is not. No. No. But no, I would I would say, and I've never finished. I never finished uh, reading Lord of the Rings because I didn't really enjoy them. I'm apparently one of the few nerds in the world who was like, meh. But it, yeah. So I never, I never read it, or never finished reading it, but I would say that thematically Watchmen is more, thematically and even in events-wise, is more faithful to the source material than Lord of the Rings. However, like Lord of the Rings, Watchmen should have been 12 hours long. Yes. Yeah, to really cover everything in it, yeah. I, I mean, I would have enjoyed that Watchmen being made into a trilogy. I think, I think that would have been an excellent... I wouldn't have said trilogy. I would have said a miniseries. Maybe? I would have said HBO miniseries. I was talking to Mike about this. It's a, it was originally released on a monthly, as a monthly comic book, twelve issues, huh. um, over the course of a year. And I could see it as a as a twelve part miniseries, maybe two hours long each. That'd be good. Yeah, to get you everything know, two hours each. Yeah, um, and and do that and do it like that. And do it as for TV, and TV doesn't make nearly enough money, so they wouldn't do it that way. Yeah, I mean, we're yeah. talking production value would be a lot lower. And uh, Oh, certainly. I, I understand that. But I think that would be – that's the format best suited to transferring it to something else because that is the format closest to the comic book. Mm-hmm. Right. And which, which basically what that says is it shouldn't have been adapted because it is so well suited to this format. Alan Moore writes for comic books. Yeah. Did he consult on the movie at all? No. 
Uh. Alan Moore, after, after League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and From Hell, Alan Moore will not let his name be on anything that is based on his works other than the comic. Hmm. Really, he has nothing to do with it. He has never watched anything after those. He's never watched V for Vendetta. He's never, he will not watch Watchmen. Um, and if you noticed in the credits, I noticed this anyway, it said, you know, co-created by Dave Gibbons. <laughs> right. Co-created and illustrated by Dave Gibbons. But it was based on the comic book, co-created and illustrated by Dave Gibbons. Alan Moore's name is not in there anywhere. No, right? it's not, yeah. And and the only reason that they can do that is because DC owns the rights. Watchmen doesn't, or Alan Moore does not. Right. Because he wrote it for DC. And if he Which, did own the rights, he would not have allowed it to oh, be made certainly into not. a movie. Yeah. Because he has been screwed over by Hollywood a number of times. And I would argue that if I were Alan Moore, I wouldn't be happy with the adaptation. Um, generally, as an author, there's two ways you can go when, when a work is up for adaptation. Um, you can go the Alan Moore route, which we've kind of just discussed, or yeah, what I don't like to call the, the Stephen King, uh, Clive Cussler, not Clive Cussler, um, Tom Clancy yeah. model. Um, I've heard this quote attributed to Stephen King and Tom Clancy, both of whom have had numerous novels turned into films. Films, And, you know, uh, the, the premise was, you know, someone asked, you know, how could you let them ruin your books like that? To which we're going to say Stephen King because I like him saying it better. Um, you know, he, he took him to his, his office and showed him a shelf full of his books. And he goes, how are any one of these different because of that movie? <laughs> they cannot change a single word I wrote. Yeah, and, but and I that's mean, an idea. But it's, Tom Clancy and Stephen King put their name on just all over everything. Yeah, they like money, though. Yeah, but 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 just again, you know, the, the, the point is, you know, why shouldn't I profit from this? It's based on my stuff, and my stuff isn't hurt by it. Yeah, right? um, and you know, is is the comic book Watchmen de- hurt in any way, shape, or form from after the movie? No, I can still reread it, and it's still fantastic. And I've read it half a dozen to ten times. And it's still fantastic every single time I read it. The movie will not change that. The movie right. will not affect my book experience. But I can understand why someone would be upset that at what had changed. And and Alan Moore, you know, if he saw the movie, he would he would be mad about Rorschach not burning the Rorschach house down because I was down. pissed. He would be mad about Doctor Manhattan being framed for the destruction. Yeah, because of thematic flaws. Right. Well, I mean, granted, you can't please everybody, and uh, like you said, if some of the elements had had, if those elements had been in the movie, it might not have been able to fit in the format, or it would have been too complicated for people. I mean, we're talking concessions you have to make in order to build a Hollywood film. But and the question that I I have to ask, and that Alan Moore asks, is then why do you have to build a Hollywood film to bring it to a wider audience? I mean, I would have to that say it, that was not the goal, Stephen. <sighs> Okay, to make money. <laughs> yeah. I, I promise you that was not the goal. It can be an ulterior motive, though, to to bring these issues up within a wider segment of the population. Like, you know, you can draw some idealistic... If only Hollywood were that altruistic. Yeah, it certainly isn't. But... No, what Hollywood did was they said, hey, this comic book is popular. Comic book movies are popular. They make <laughs> money. We'll make money if we make this into a comic book movie. And... In, in some respects, I really am glad that Zack Snyder was the one who directed this because Zack Snyder, he talked about it, you know, how he he was offered Watchmen and he almost, he almost said no because he's like, you can't adapt this. This cannot be adapted. He was, you know, people people call Zack Snyder one of us in, this, in that respect. It's like, Good. He's, not, he's like, no, you, you shouldn't adapt this. And then he said, wait, 
they're going to do this whether or not I agree to direct it. <laughs> so I might as well minimize so the damage. So <laughs> I am going to do my best to make it as good as I possibly can. Yeah. No, I think he did. And I, I, certainly concessions were made. And certainly, you know, I'm sure he was behind some of those. Like slow-mo fighting. <sighs> Zack Snyder's slow-mo fighting does bother me a little bit. Yeah. Just because it gives me 300 flashbacks. <laughs> um, I have to say, 300 used it a lot more liberally than, yeah. uh, than Watchmen. It was very subtle in Watchmen. Yes. So, Sometimes. I, I think, though, the, the reason why they they do that is so, like, the point is, is, like, to see the to see the combat happening because in a lot of films you get this you get fight scenes you have this camera shaking going on Taken. and you have no idea <laughs> yeah, what exactly. the hell is going on um, like I, that were... chase scene with like five white cars running after one yeah, and another. Taken. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, I don't know which car's which. You can't have two cars that look the same chase each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, all of the fight scenes, yeah. th- they were close-in shots, really fast mm. cuts, and you couldn't, I mean, I, I couldn't tell what and he to be was fair, doing that's, to the guy. That's, the idea is that you know, that's more realistic to a real fight, is you don't really, you don't have a full perception of everything that's happening to you every moment in a fight. However, it doesn't yeah. look as good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a trade-off. Yeah. Well, I think we've we've said just about all we can say on Watchmen. Um, it's a fantastic film. It's a fantastic graphic novel. Go read the graphic novel and see the film. Don't uh, limit yourself to one or the other. They are releasing, um, I should point this out, um, Tales of the Black Freighter and um, Under the Hood by Hollis Mason as animated film, like a DVD. Huh. And theoretically, pe- people are hoping for and wishing for, and it will probably happen, that on the super extended director's cut edition of the DVD, it will a have all the stuff Zack Snyder was forced to cut out um, that was filmed but cut for length for various reasons, as well as Black Freighter and Under the Hood integrated into the film. Wow! Wow, that's going to be a heck of a DVD. It'll oh, yeah. make I lots mean, of money. Yeah. <laughs> if if I were to buy a DVD, it would be that. Yeah. I I don't know that I need to own Watchmen the movie though. Hmm. Like that's that's where I'm at right now. Is as like okay, it's like an interesting experience. I don't need know that I need to pay for that. Yeah. Well, we'll agree to disagree here on Bad Philosophy, which uh, we happen to do quite <laughs> often. And uh, we'll see you next time. Rorschach, Rorschach. Isn't Rorschach. It pronounced, isn't it pronounced it is, Rorschach? It is supposed to be pronounced Rorschach. And they so. said Rorschach they the say, entire even film. he yeah. says Rorschach. Did he? Yeah. I don't remember he, that. I'm Rorschach. Yeah. You know. I'm, I'm going to stick with Rorschach because that is how the word is pronounced yes. and that is how it is pronounced in the book. I know this because I hear it in my mind because it's a book and it has that power. Badphilosophy.com Sometimes, Kevin, you look like a pothead.